Hello, everyone. My name is Tanya McCready, and I'm the co-founder of Winter Dance Dog Sled Tours with my husband and a little place called Halliburton, Canada. And I'm so excited to be with John and all of you here today on Relationships Revenue Podcast. Life is all about relationships and great leaders heavily invest in those relationships. On the Relationships and Revenue podcast, we talk about how to improve our most significant relationships at home so we can be better in our business relationships. We talk with experts from all over the world representing many disciplines about the best tips and strategies to become amazing people and amazing leaders. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin. As always, thrilled you decided to share some of your hard-earned time with me. And as you heard from that introduction, I have Tanya McCready with me today. Tanya, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, and you, John? Oh, so good. So good. Now, folks, you heard Tanya talk a little bit about herself, but let me fill you in on some other really cool things. They are in Halliburton, Canada. Did I say that right? Absolutely, you did. Okay. And guys, they do some amazing things there. You know, I, I always find it fascinating when I meet someone who does something that I didn't expect. And Tanya and her husband, they take teams of dogs on the, I know I'm going to say it wrong. I said it right just a little bit ago before we started recording. I did a tarot. Did I say it right? Very no. close. Close. I did a rod. I did close. a rod. Gosh. One of these days I will say it right when, when the pressure's not on. So, so they do that. Uh, Tanya's a, a TEDx speaker. She's an entrepreneur. Uh, she's the author of a couple different books. Now, I want to make sure I get these right because I, I don't want to say them. I did a rod, Dreamer, A Rookie Team's Journey is the first book. And the second it. book is Journey of a Thousand Miles, a, a Musher and His Husky's Journey on the Yukon. Did I say that right? Yukon yeah. Quest's uh, Century-Old Klondike Trails. That is Dang a mouthful. On. Can't Journey of a Thousand Miles is probably the easiest way to say the second book. So, Absolutely. And she also happens to be a wife and mom. Very proud of what yes. Oh, as you should be. As you should be. And so, uh, Tanya, you guys are doing some amazing things there in Canada. And just take us back a little bit because, you know, everybody's journey to where they end up is rarely is it a straight line. <laughs> so give us a little bit of a better idea. How did you get started? And what was the trek like on your journey toward where you are now? My gosh, yes. Ours certainly was not a straight line. Um, we grew up in farming communities, one mm. of the Thousand Islands, looking across the United States, actually, where we both grew up, Hank and I. And I knew from an early age that wildlife and nature and the environment was my passion. Mm. So, you know, I, I went through high school and was like, gosh, you know, like I'm going to do environmental engineering and environmental law. That was my plan. And then I can help, you know, wildlife and habitat environment. So part of that, that worked out, you know, I got my, my PN and uh, practiced for two years in engineering and saved money and was heading to law school. But along the way, I came to find out that, I mean, that was, would have been early nineties, that a lot of people paid lip service to the environment at that point, but they really didn't serve the environment. So I got very disillusioned with my job. Uh, the company had a great mission, but it, it was not working out. We were making things worse than better. And it got to the point that I was like, you know, I don't know that environmental law is going to take me where I want to go and make the impact I want to make in my life. 
So Hank and I had had got married at that point. We were married in my third year at university. And Hank's an agricultural millwright by trade. And he traveled all over Ontario fixing silos on farms. And we'd got a husky. We'd gone to the mall one night after dinner. Such a simple decision. And yeah. walked into a pet store. And here was this adorable red and white husky. And we had no intention of getting a dog. But after three nights of going to see her, she came home with us. Yeah. <laughs> How we thought we made the decision that night to add a dog to our family, but we made a decision that was going to transform the entire trajectory of our lives. So fast forward, we found out Huskies were pack animals. So we got a second one and read a book and fell in love with Alaska and the Iditarod and then saw a movie about dog sledding, Iron Will, Disney movie. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend still if you haven't seen. Oh, yeah. And Hank looked at me and said, we have got to try dog sledding. Wow. Husky three and four joined our family. I bought Hank a sled and harnesses for Christmas and and we were dog sledders. And then, you know, we just did it for fun as a hobby. We got up to seven dogs in suburbia in our house mm -hmm. and we each had a team. And then one night when we were looking for options, a friend said to us, why don't you turn your love for your dogs into a business? Hmm. And that planted the seed. Okay. And, you know, we both looked at each other and Hank was like, that would be amazing. And I was like, you think? And he's like, absolutely. And the more we talked about it, more we thought about it, more excited we got and wrote a business plan and I don't know in your part of the world, John, but in my part of the world, if you take a business plan with a picture of a dog sled team on the front cover, <laughs> it doesn't go well. Um, you know, we easily approached 50 banks that year. No's, no replies, hung up on phone calls. It's like, oh, this is horrible. And we'd pretty much given up. And then out of the blue, a bank four hours north of us called and said, would you come for a meeting? Wow. Someone had sent them our business plan. I have no idea who. Hmm. And uh, we walked out of that meeting with a small business loan. A few months later, quit our jobs, rented out our house four hours north to the wilderness. And that's where this whole crazy adventure began in 1999. Wow. Wow. That's that's really exciting. You know, <clears throat> I say exciting in, in the sense that it was an adventure how you got there, meaning, you know, the, the whole business plan and people not understanding that. Uh, but obviously, one of these other banks must have sent it to someone who they thought would at least have a sympathetic ear. Absolutely. Somebody to this idea, I have no idea who, but someone sent it to a colleague at a bank further north. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was that was the start of it all. And and most people didn't believe us. Our families thought we were crazy. I mean, walking <laughs> away from an engineering degree, great jobs and a lovely home to move to the wilderness with nothing. Mm -hmm. I was eight months pregnant with our first child when we Wow. So we we built a home and a business and started a family all that first fall. And it, uh, it, it put us, it tested us, I'll tell you, you know, how bad I bet. new life because any curveball that could be thrown was pretty much thrown. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people say, you know why we didn't quit? Because we blew through all that small business loan. We maxed out credit cards. We borrowed money from friends and family. We ended up living in the kennel with the dogs our first winter because our house didn't get finished. Mm. Uh, you know, all these crazy things. And, and I say, I think it was two things. I mean, the first was when you burn your bridges. You've got to find a way forward because there is no back. And our jobs were gone. Our house was rented. So we had to figure this out. Right. And the second I say jokingly, but in all seriousness as well, that Hank and I both never questioned our sanity on the same day. Okay. Days yeah. I would be like, <laughs> what have we done? Mm -hmm. Hank would help me see the vision of what we were building. And days mm -hmm. that he would be questioning what we did, I would be that for him. That's good. Because when you're chasing a big dream, a big goal, a big vision, there's going to be tough days. Oh, yeah. And having somebody help you reconnect with that vision is just so important. Oh, it is. And, you know, if your dream doesn't scare you at least a little bit, is it really a dream at that point? Mm -hmm. I mean, truly. Yeah. I mean, if it's 
if it's something you can do all on your own, not I don't think that's a dream. It, there's got to be elements that are totally outside of you that are going to have to happen in order to make it work. That's just what I think. I know not everybody agrees with me, and I am totally fine with that. <laughs> okay, so you make the vision happen. It's not easy along the way, but you do it. So tell us about the first real big experience you guys had racing, because I know that's a really good story. Yeah, there's a lot of stories around racing. Um, <laughs> I mean, there, was, there was two reasons we started the business. One was to build a lifestyle around what we love. Yes. Uh, and and to live life on hard terms. And then the second was that Hank had decided he had to compete in the Iditarod dog sled race. And we knew it would take a couple of years to build the business to the point where Hank could focus on training one team and then head to Alaska for a month during our crazy season. Yeah. But 2010, pretty much, you know, bang on 13 years ago, we were in Alaska in Anchorage at the starting line of the Iditarod. And my gosh, you know, you talk about dreams being bigger than you. Running that race is one of those such dreams mm. because it takes so much teamwork. Dogs, of course, mm. but also the support system. Um, you know, no musher can get there on their own. And Sherwood story. You want me to share, John? There's so many on these six crazy thousand mile races he's done. But well, I mean, okay, let me make it easier for you then. Let's yes. uh because part of that is in at least the first book, correct? Yes. Okay. Well, let's dig into the first book then a little bit and, and tell us a little bit about what's in the book and certainly why you wrote the book. Yeah, absolutely. So the first book was our journey up to that starting line. You know, all the qualifiers, you can't just say to a dinner out, I want to come run your dog sled race. It doesn't right. work that way. Right. You got to do 50 mile races to qualify for 100 mile races and 100 mile races to qualify for 200. And you slowly work your way up to qualify to be allowed to enter the Iditarod. So mm. it took us a few years to get all those qualifiers. And then, and my gosh, our first Iditarod was so many stories in it. And, you know, one of the most powerful ones, ironically, isn't in the book, John. Oh, okay. Uh, we, I know because Hank didn't allow me to share it for a very long time. Oh, wow. Um, so I'll share that one quickly, and then okay, and then I'll share the one that I think you're you're thinking of. But all right, um, you know, to start a thousand mile dog sled race when you've never done one, even when you have, there's just so much, right? Like a thousand miles across the last fifteen dogs, everything you need, you have to have either on your sled or ship for checkpoints and bags that are waiting for you. So Hank was, we all were a basket case leading into that start. <laughs> and, you know, I remember going to that starting line, 16 dogs to give people a feel as, as about as long as a tractor trailer. That's how long mm. a 16 dog team is. The power is 800 pounds of dogs versus my husband's about 160 pounds. And it literally takes 12 volunteers with leashes, two of us on the back of the sled on the brake to stop this team. We need to stop as we slowly go to the starting line. So wow. the energy and power is insane. And we got to the starting line and the team's going on two minute intervals and, and Hank, as soon as the two minute countdown starts, volunteers literally fall to the ground and physically grab the sled to hold it in place because the dogs will just take off. Mm. And he runs up and he connects with every single one of his dogs. Eye mm. to eye, ruffles their fur. <laughs> and then, you know, 30 seconds, he's back at the sled. Kids get a big hug, I do. And then 20 seconds, he's on the runners and five, four, three, two, one, off they go. Wow. And for the next three days, I didn't sleep because I was so worried. <laughs> and, you know, the Iditarod, you can follow every team's progress with a, a map. which you, They all have GPS trackers on their sleds. Oh, okay. And even though they were moving bang on schedule, like, I was just so worried of everything that could happen. Sure. So finally, my, my brother's like, well, keep the kids you fly in and go see him and just put your mind at ease. All's good. 
So I flew in and the team was awesome. He was doing amazing, having the time of his life. And mm-hmm. I was man, you know, I was so worried. And that night I was stuck in this little tiny checkpoint because I, I couldn't fly out until the plane came back the next day. And it's the first scoop I had. And it was the night he got himself in trouble mm-hmm. because they ran up the river and they got into overflow, which is just water that lays on top of the ice. Oh, wow. The dogs were fine, but he got his boots wet. Oh, boy. And then he got to the next checkpoint. And he planned to stay and dry out his boots. But the volunteers there told him that the teams that had come in before him had all gone up the trail, said they were going to have a big bonfire that night five miles up and invited everyone to come join them. So being a rookie, he didn't want to inconvenience anyone. And he's like, OK, I'll, I'll keep going. And he got five miles up the trail that night and there was didn't find a bonfire. Uh-oh. And by that time, he knew he was in trouble because he couldn't pull his feet in. No. So he looked after the team. And then he knew he had to get warm, so he crawled into his big sleeping bag, but he was so cold he couldn't get his boots or his gear off. So he crawled in with everything in. And when he woke up about an hour later, he was in worse shape because he still couldn't feel his feet, oh, but he also couldn't feel his hands. And he'd fallen asleep facing the zipper of the sleeping bag. And the zipper now was encased in ice from his breath in the frost in the air that night, too. Oh. And so he said he lay there. He has no idea how long that night, but the thoughts went through his mind were, how am I going to get out of the sleeping bag? I don't know if I'm going to get out of this sleeping bag. And then he's like, I accept it. I wasn't going to get out. Mm. And then he thought of his dogs. And he's like, if I don't get out, what's going to happen to my team? And of course, they would have been fine. There's snowmobiles and planes on the trail during the day. That didn't occur to him. So the tiniest bit of the toggle was there, was out of the ice. And he got it between his teeth and started working it back and forth until the ice started to crack. Mm. He was able to leverage his way out. And he started running until the point where he had pain back and got his blood mm. and his circulation flowing again. But the reason he didn't share that story forever was because he thought it made him look like he didn't deserve to be on that trail because the bad decision he made mm-hmm. made him look less than a man because of the bad decision and potential jeopardy he put his team in. But now he's allowed me to share it because he also realizes that it's a huge lesson. Mm-hmm. That no matter how much we serve, whether it's our teams, our dogs, our family, if you don't take care of yourself, ultimately you're putting those you serve and those you love in the biggest jeopardy. That's true. So that's the story that you know, we share so often on stages that is not in that book. But of course, as you know, we get another mm-hmm. 300 miles into the story and he doesn't get to finish that race. Right. He got pulled out, unfortunately. And, and that was, that was one of the toughest times of our life. Yeah. To have a Imagine. dream that you've chased for so many years, you know, cost us 50,000 to run the race. It's like that. It's, it's gone. Yeah. And it, it took a month to get him through that. You know, and the wow. only way we get through it is setting a new dream to mm. go back and, and run another thousand race. Yeah. But it was, it was a tough time when you publicly fail. So the idea to Rod, is that every year? Every year, every March. Yeah. Okay. There isn't, from my perspective anyway, there's not a natural progression from dog sled racing to TEDx speaker. So <laughs> help me see how that happened. Yeah, no, it's not a natural progression, and, and it wasn't our idea at all. Um, that would have been after Hank's second race, so his first finish. Uh, yeah. We got a random call from a, an executive in, in a big Canadian company who we had never met, but she had somehow heard about the race in Hank, and she had followed the track religiously. Wow. And she's like, I want you to come speak to our executive team on leadership and overcoming adversity. Because she said, I think so much of what you guys do, like, is totally applicable to what we do in corporations. Mm. And I was like, yeah, we don't do the best. <laughs> she's very <laughs> persistent. Um, and finally, her persistence was, we pay really, really well. And we were trying <laughs> to figure out how to raise money for the next thousand mile race that Hank wanted to do. So 
I remember I said to you, I'm like, okay, this lady wants to come speak for an hour in Toronto. He's like, no effing way. And I'm like, <laughs> it'll pay for the entry fee to the next Adidaron. <laughs> so he's like, we'll do it once. So once is what started it. And mm -hmm. um, it was quite an experience. I mean, we went in not knowing what to expect and if we would, you know, say anything that would mean anything to them and, and walked away with a standing ovation and, and hire to come back and do the same presentation to another group in the company four weeks later. Wow. Uh, so that started the speaking career, but, but we just did it a little bit until COVID hit. Mm -hmm. and, uh, COVID decimated our business because in Canada, right. we locked down for much longer than you guys did. And, right. and we lost most of 2021's revenue. Wow. And we got to about this time of year and we're like, how are we going to care for 150 dogs? when we just lost 75% of um, right. So we're like, well, you know, there is the speaking thing, which indicates it. Right. Um, so that's what we started leaning into. And, and we leaned into it. I leaned into it because he did not enjoy it. Um, and I wasn't sure I could do it without him, but it turns mm. out I can. And yeah. he still comes with me and supports me and, and loves to meet people one-on-one -on -one afterwards, but he just, the stage is not where he wants to be. Um, and then that, you know, ended up leading to a TED talk and the second book. And, and now, as I look back, what has happened in two years, you know, to speak to Coca-Cola, military organizations across the Americas, it's just, it blows us away uh, yeah. with what our stories of our dogs and our adversity and, and our journey, how, how we get to share that with others and impact their lives. Give us some examples of some of the places that you've spoken. I mean, you mentioned Coca-Cola, obviously. Yeah, Coca-Cola was, um, that was about a year ago now. Um, I spoke to a small team and uh, out of that came three more presentations to Coca-Cola within the next month. Mm -hmm. uh, so incredibly honored. And one of Hank's stories, I don't have it here that I can show you. Um, that was his first Yukon Quest race. If you've mm -hmm. read the second book, John, he was given a coin um, mm -hmm. near the end of that race. And it helped him finish the race. Um, it turned out that he was dog sledding through the, the Air Force Base in Fairbanks. And it was a soldier oh. that gave him this challenge coin. And Hank will tell you it's one of his most prized possessions. We've never met the soldier to this day. You know, we know who yeah. he is, but we've never met him. And uh, Coca-Cola ended up minting challenge coins for their entire sales team in Canada um, out of wow. that story to help them get through the University of COVID. So hmm. that was that was a very special presentation for sure. We've now spoke to the Canadian military. Um, also another organization that's uh, uh, military leaders in Central and South America. Uh, that was a couple of years ago now. And that was probably at the time my most intimidating one because I'm like, what are generals and colonels from like Central and South America? Like, and and Eng English was a bit of a barrier. So I was like, mm. how? Because they were like, you got to talk slow so they can understand you. And yeah. So that one was that one was very intimidating. But now I've spoke to that group, I think, six or seven times. And they're one of my favorite mm. groups. They're so fun. So, um, yeah. And then, I mean, from service organizations and, and charities to police officers to, yeah, other corporations. It's it's crazy where this, this path has taken us the last years. Sure. Now, where does the, uh, the TEDx talk come into all this? Yeah, I mean, a, a coach and mentor and a dear friend of ours, actually, David Waldy, and a couple mm -hmm. other friends of mine were like, you've got to do a TEDx talk. Mm. And I was like, nope, that's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and, and then I get this notice that my uh, my alma mater university was hosting a TEDx talk. And I'm like, mm. if I am open to what the universe is telling me, <laughs> <laughs> 
I should apply to this. Um, so I did, and and we worked it around one of one of our stories on the races, the Adidarad, um, through the mm-hmm. storm, and you know how storms come into all of our lives, and and the story of Hank and the dogs getting through a storm one night on the Bering Sea. But I mean, that's just a metaphor for what we all face, and and that ended up being accepted and at our first TED talk. So nice. That's very cool. I, lo- I love to hear stories about how folks get their start in speaking. And if they have gone on a stage like you have for a TEDx talk, uh, how that all came about. I I find it fascinating, but that's also because I've been speaking for over 30 years. So, yeah, no, it's it's an amazing journey, right? Just mm-hmm. and, and so much of it is word of mouth. Yeah. Excellent point. In this podcast, aptly named Relationships and Revenue. We don't spend all our time talking. We spend, believe it or not, most of our time talking about relationships. Because I believe if you want your business to be the absolute best it can be, it starts at home. With that thought, what are you doing right now, Tanya, to build into, to make better, to improve your most important relationships at home? And what impact do those have on your business? That's a great question and an absolutely great because I do believe your business's success starts at home. Um, and for us, I mean, Hank and I are in business together. So, you know, we're, we're in it for everything. And our kids are also involved in our four children. That's cool. 15 and 23. And mm-hmm. to varying stages, they're all involved as well. So, gosh, what are we doing at the moment? At the moment, we're coming near the end of our, our big season, our winter season. Mm-hmm. So Hank and I are very, always fun at the end of winter is hard because we've gone through th- four months of going as hard as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a little bit of burnout comes, a little bit of exhaustion. So it's like <laughs> how to not let ourselves go down there too far and come back up, you know, quickly. Yeah. Because that's always our thing. Sure. Um, so we're strategically looking at, okay, how do we, you know, give ourselves that time to decompress after this crazy season, but also bounce back really fast. Mm-hmm. And we deal with things differently. So it's it's trying to support each other in a way to help us get through that tough time. Mm-hmm. And then we're planning for next year. You know, we're already mm-hmm. working. When are our goals that we want to accomplish as a business, as a family? Um, so just, I mean, communication is so huge, right? Constantly talking and finding out what each individual family member needs. I mean, between Hank and I, but also kids, you know, what are their dreams and their goals and what are they not happy with and what do they love? So we just, we try to communicate as much as we possibly can to make sure everybody's on the same page. That's and great. that's that's one of the negatives and the positives, I guess, of having a family run business is, you know, your kids are involved in the business. Mm-hmm. So it can be challenging, but it also yeah. can be re- yeah. rewarding because they get to feel like they're part of what mom and dad are doing. Right. Um, so even those that are starting their own lives, they'll come back and they're like, we didn't know this was happening. And, you know, <laughs> and all this stuff sucks because they're so vested in where winter dances come from and being mm-hmm. those finish lines with their father and, and seeing those races in Alaska. So it's, it's cool That's as well cool. as it is challenging. How would you define success? Definitely not the financial, as you said. Although, I mean... You need to not have tons of financial stress because Lori knows we've been through that numerous times in 23 years of this business and, and financial stress makes everything hard. It makes relationships mm-hmm. hard. It makes everything hard. So you have to be stable financially. But success to us is being able to live exactly how you want, being able to do what you love every single day and being able to positively impact people around you. That mission is successful. And like you're living on purpose and living your passion. Excellent. What would you say is your number one daily habit? And if you can't tell me one, can you give me a top three? That's fair. Time with Hank. That is absolutely a daily habit. Uh, quiet time to talk just to be together. Mm. Absolute must. Uh, second, I wouldn't say in the winter, I'm 100% religious, but the other eight, nine months of it, I am walking every single day. Mm. Um, 
getting outside into nature. So I kind of kill two birds with one stone. I get the exercise in, but right. also nature and just the meditation, the visualization is it's incredibly therapeutic and also is where some of my best ideas come from when I'm out. And the third one is reading. Um, I read. Okay. So those ideas that you have when you're out walking, now, do you have some way of recording them while you're doing that? I mean, do you like talking to a phone? Do you write something down? I don't because I don't like to take myself out of the moment. Um, but okay. the second I get home, I do. <laughs> so you're better um, than me because I, I'm afraid I have to say it right away because I'm afraid it's going to be gone. Yeah. No, I don't. I've tried that, but I find it takes away and then it interrupts me. And so okay. I don't. I just allow everything to flow for the 40 or 60 minutes that I'm out there. And then as soon as I'm home, I, I take a few minutes and capture whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, you won't be surprised with what I'm about to say that. I believe in order for us to to get to the levels that we were destined to be at, we need help along the way. And one of the ways we get that help are through various types of coaches. So my next question to you is who, like a coach, is investing in you right now? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think one of the biggest business mistakes we've made is not finding mentors and coaches earlier in our journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um who now? Oh, gosh. I mean, obviously, our mutual friend, David Waldy, has been mm -hmm. massive in my life. Um, he has helped us see this business from, I could see it seven figures, and, and we got there, but I couldn't see it any further. And mm -hmm. him and a few others have helped me expand our vision, but now we can see the natural. Nice. So I had no idea. So, yeah, I have several coaches, several great friends that mm -hmm. invest their time and their wisdom and and their perspective. Sometimes you need somebody, right, to give you a yeah. new perspective because you get so stuck in the trenches, you don't oh, see. Yeah. So yeah, Laura Cardosi is is a brilliant soul. Um, David Waldy, my husband, uh, you know, mm -hmm. he's supporting me in this speaker journey, and I couldn't do it without him. Yeah, so, yeah I'm, I'm blessed to have so many incredible people in my life. And what are you doing right now to invest in yourself? Yeah, I mean, certainly I do have coaches. Um, mm -hmm. I've hired coaches. I'm part of masterminds. Mm -hmm. um, Reading, as I said, that that goes without saying. And I've always got a course on the go, one way, shape, or form. Okay. Speaking of books, and you need to understand, I'm a big time reader. I read all the time. And, you know, this is this is my belief, but also ties in with a friend of mine. My friend's name is, is Jeff Brown. And Jeff has a podcast called Read to Lead. And what he says often is readers lead and leaders read. So based on that, give me some of the titles that recently you have been reading. I'd love to know. Oh, yes. Um, well, uh, I mean, let's see. Stealing Fire is the one that I just started. I'm only halfway in, but loving it. So that one I highly recommend. The one I finished before that was uh, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Mm -hmm. um, I hadn't read that one for a long time because the title to me was like, duh, because that's the number one rule of dog sledding is you always care for your dogs before you care for yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, Anyway, so I have to reach out to Simon because, like, you know, you have all these great military examples and corporate examples, but you're missing the dogs. It's <laughs> the perfect one for this book. Um, what else have I read lately? Uh, greatest Salesman in the World. I don't know how many times I've read that book. I keep going back to it for a recent all the time. Uh, Think and Grow Rich, that one I read at least once a year. Mm. Um, what else? What else? Jenna Kutcher's new book. I just finished that one. Ed Milet's new book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so many great books. Oh my gosh, we could talk for an hour just on books, John. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe maybe that's an offline conversation. How's that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Tell me about a time when you failed really big and what the result was of it. I mean, probably our biggest public failure was Hank not finishing that at Diderot. Okay. Um, and that was huge for us as a family, as a business. 
um, individually. And yet it's become our greatest leverage point mm-hmm. stories, yeah. uh, become one of our greatest lessons on how to get through quote unquote failure. Because now I don't believe there's failure unless you give up. That's the only thing. You know, when I watched Tank cross that finish line two years after that quote unquote failure and our children were there and saw him finish, you know, the lesson they learned is that there is no failure if you keep trying. You know, failure mm-hmm. is just a setback. So to get to share that with other people and help them see mm-hmm. that. Failure is just a stepping stone. And then to get through that failure, the fastest way through it is setting a new goal, a new vision, a new dream to get excited about. That's been our greatest lesson ever. Because we've had smaller failures since, you know, from financial to business and and to know how to pivot and get out of that mindset so that you can just keep on going faster you can get out of that. Oh, yeah. That's the secret. You know, Tanya, the way I like to describe it to people, because I think too often we equate these two words, failing and failure. And to me, they're completely different. Failing means I tried something new. I didn't do it right. And I have an opportunity to learn from it. Failure, on the other hand, is a state of being. I'm choosing to stay stuck. And I can't help somebody who chooses to stay stuck. But I can help somebody all day long who tries something new, who's willing to put the effort in and maybe needs to tweak something to make it better. Big difference between those. Huge difference. And I think, you know, like when I think back to when Hank was in that failure mode for a month after didn't get to finish that race. He couldn't see a white note. He didn't know how to help himself, right? Like he didn't want to stay stuck. He just, he was, he didn't know how to get unstuck. Right. So having someone that doesn't give up on you mm. and can help you get out of that, you know, to be that for someone is, is a huge gift you can get, right? Because they, they don't want to stay stuck. They just don't know how to get out of there. That is a tremendous, and not everybody can do that either. I mean, I believe that there are certain people who are gifted to do that because I've I've met plenty of people who would love to help, but their version of help. mm, No. (laughs) And, and it has to be the right person for the right person, right? Like, yeah, I, I wasn't able to help Hank, but maybe I couldn't help the next person who went through the same failure Um, and and vice versa. Right. You connect with someone, but not with someone. I mean, it's, it's Mm -hmm. very personal and individual. I think that way. Sure. Tell us about something you have coming up that you're excited about. Gosh. Two things, I guess. Uh, we're starting to write our third book. So super excited Ooh. about that. And also have a large speech coming up in two months to all of the police chiefs of Ontario. And okay. I'm just super humbled and honored to have been asked and to get mm. to share with a group like that that do nothing but serve all of us, you know, for a living. Mm. And I guess I'll add three. Uh, we do have an online course that is launching in the next couple of weeks too that uh, for people that don't get to be part of our presentations breaks down all of our leadership lessons into a a simple online course. So okay, spring is around the corner. That's another yeah. thing that Canadians get excited about. Oh yeah, you know, and that folks, that's something we'll include in the show notes: a link to the to the course and the other things that are going on in Tanya's life. So don't worry about trying to write that down, especially if you're on your run right now. Absolutely, yes. And I would love to offer your audience too, John, and we'll put the link below. But a, a free download version of our, our first book we did our dream for Friday. Oh. What a, what a tremendous gift. All right. Let me up the ante, folks. And you know, when I have guests on who happen to be authors, this is how I do. So this is what I'm going to do. Get your handy dandy phone out. When this episode comes out, you got to take a picture of it. Take that snapshot. You got to tag Tanya and you got to tag me in Instagram. And when you do that, the first person who does that is going to get a signed copy of whichever book you choose of hers on me. Tanya didn't even know I was going to do this. I did not. Thank you, John. My pleasure, because I think people who write books, their books need to be out to everybody. 
So I'm doing my part to help with that. You guys know I'm an entrepreneur. I love helping entrepreneurs as much as I can. So let's help spread their message and I can get it to you guys. And I want you to do me a favor with the book. Once you get it, if you love it, keep it forever. Totally fine with that. If you love it so much you want to share it, do that and keep passing it along because that gets the message to spread even further, it becomes viral at that point. That's what I love to hear. And again, she didn't know I was going to say that. I did not. Thank you, John. You bet. We're getting close to wrap up time. But before we get there, how can folks connect with you? Yeah, probably our website is the easiest way, winterdance.com. And from there, you can go into social or but everything is all linked through that main site. So winterdance.com and get to meet some of our amazing dogs because they, they're our inspiration. All right. Well, now we're going to get to our final four. Tanya, there's four quick questions. Just tell me the first thing pops in your head. All right, here we go. Question number one, why did God create Tanya? Or if you're uncomfortable with that, why are you here? Probably answering that very different now than I would have. But now I know it's to share inspiration so that people will follow their dreams the way that Hank and I followed ours. Love that. Love that. What are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? Stealing Fire, uh, that book I just mentioned, loving mm -hmm. that. And also doing a course on manifestation and loving that as well. What do you do for fun? Mm, do for fun. Gosh. We're so lucky that what we do for a living is also fun. So get out in the wilderness <laughs> with our dogs, with our family. That is that is the most fun ever. And what are you most grateful for? We don't have enough time. <laughs> Gosh, I'm grateful for the connection that introduced us, John. I'm mm. so grateful for the day, um, the people we get to welcome into our world every single day. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that we get to be here. Um, my family, our dogs, our business. Grateful for absolutely everything, even the challenges. I love that perspective. Never lose that. Well, listen, Tanya, thank you so much for your time today, for spending some of, again, your most precious resource, which is your time, because you know you can't get it back. So thank you for spending some of that with us and sharing some of your love of the outdoors, the love of your dogs, and the lessons you've learned along the way with us, because we're better because we heard from you. So thank you. Well, thank you, John, for having me on. It's it was a play. pleasure and an honor to have you here. And thank you to all of you for tuning in for the exact same reason, because your time is very precious, and I don't take that lightly. So thank you so much for being here. We will talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at... John Hewlett. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.